welcome to the Latinx Kidlit Book Festival podcast. This is season one, episode four, Q&A with National Book Award finalist E.B. Zaboy. E.B. is joined by author Maritza Molit. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the first ever Latinx Kid Lit Book Festival. I'm Maritza Malit, co-author of Dear Haiti, Love Elaine, and the upcoming One of the Good Ones out January 5th, 2021. First of all, please read our anti-harassment policy in the chat box. Now, this afternoon, I have the best job ever of introducing our keynote speaker conversation haver, who happens to be one of my most favorite authors and a personal inspiration to me, Evie Zavoy. Evie Zavoy is the New York Times bestselling author of My Life as an Ice Cream Sandwich, her middle grade debut, and the young adult novels Pride, American Street, a National Book Award finalist and a New York Times notable book, and co-author of Punching the Air with exonerated five member Yusuf Salon. Evie is also the editor of Black Enough, Stories of Being Young and Black in America. Evie holds an MFA in writing for children and young adults from Vermont College of Fine Arts. Her writing has been published in the New York Times Book Review, the Hornbook Magazine, and the Rumpus, among lots of others. And as an educator, she is the recipient of several grants from the Brooklyn Arts Council for her community-based programs for teen girls in both Brooklyn and Haiti. Evie was born in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and raised in New York City. And she now lives in Maplewood, New Jersey with her husband and three children. Evie, thank you so much for being here. Hi. Hi, Maritza. I'm so excited to be able to talk to you. Thank you so much for that warm introduction, that enthusiastic introduction. I love your energy, you and your sister, Malika. Maika. Yeah. <laughs> and congratulations on your forthcoming book, One of the Good Ones. Thank you so much. Over there, I'm not gonna leave the camera. I should have put it up with me. I'm so sorry, I forgot about that. And Dear Haiti, love Alain. I love that book so much because it's the perfect African-American and Haitian thing combining the other. It's It speaks to me, it speaks to my experience as a Haitian-American. Um, so thank you for writing that book to you and your sister. Thank you for being in this space in the YA world uh, for, I, I was not the only one for a long time. Nope, yeah, I, yeah. There were other Haitian books, but they were there were not um, too many Haitian American authors at the same time that I was publishing. Exactly. Um, so I'm glad we are coexisting with Ben Philippe uh, and there's some more other Debbie Regard uh, and I know Tammy Charles writes about Haitian culture as well. So it's a great time to be an author. Uh, and I am so, so proud and happy that there is a Latinx Kid Lip Festival. This would not have been possible five years ago or even 10 years ago. So okay. this is a tremendous, tremendous thing. And thank you so much to everyone who put this together. Um, now, I know there are some people wondering, Latinx, are you Latinx? Evie's a boy, uh, Maritza Mulit. These are not your typical Latin 
X names if you think that Latinx just means Spanish or Hispanic. Um, there is Hispanic identity and there is Spanish from Spain identity. And then there is Latin identity, Latinx identity. And what that means is that um, you're from a Latin American country and Latin America consists of all the Spanish speaking countries, of course, but it also includes Haiti and Brazil um, mm -hmm. specifically because Latin um, is also like Latin languages, Romance languages is not just Spanish. It includes French, Portuguese, Italian. Is that it? Spanish, French, Portuguese. Romanian, I think. Really? Don't quote me, but I okay. want to say yes. Yes. I'm going to look that up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Wait, who's the PhD? Maika or you? We're both uh, getting our PhDs right now. You are both getting your PhDs. Yeah. Congratulations. First years. I will refer <laughs> to the future doctorates. <laughs> um, so, but however, Ro uh, Romania did not colonize the new world. Yeah. So we're talking about Latin America. We're talking about the new world, mm -hmm. uh, meaning, you know, South America. Um, oh, yes. Romanian is a romance language. Nice. Um, based off of the Latin, have Latin, Latin is their base in terms yeah. of etymology, right? Um, or the root words of any specific language. Um, however, Romania did not colonize you know, any, any part of the new world. Um, kudos to you, Romania. Um, they might be Romania. right now. They're not like a superpower um, <laughs> in the way that Britain, you know, was. But the to mention Britain is to also acknowledge the fact that Latinx countries are outside of the British Empire. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're not English speaking countries. So France, Haiti was colonized by the France. French is a Latin-based or ro Romance language. So technically, Haiti, yes, is a is part of Latin America, and so is Brazil. And I really, it's sometimes disappointing to see Haiti and Brazil left out of the conversation mm -hmm. uh, around Latinx identity. Um, if it's Hispanic heritage or Hispanic identity, that is something different because you're talking about uh, Spanish speaking countries, countries that were colonized by Spain. Um, however, Latinx should be inclusive of Haiti, um, Martinique, um, French Guyana, Guadeloupe. All of those are French speaking Latin American countries. And of course, Brazil. And I really think it's important to include those two countries because of what they mean to um, Black history or African, global African history. And there, there are also conversations around Afro-Latinidad or Afro-Latin identity, right? A lot of um, people from Spanish-speaking countries who are visibly or phenotypically Black are now calling themselves Afro-Latin, Latinx, which is accurate. It's just them validating the African presence in their bloodline and in their phenotype. Um, and I think that is so, so wonderful because Latin American countries were so adamant about pushing back their Black identity. 
Um, we know the history between Haiti and the Dominican Republic, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I won't get too much into that, but I think um, my presence and your presence is the Latinx Kid Lit Festival. I think we need to address um, like Blackness in Latinx identity. Um, however, I personally do not call myself Afro-Latina. Do you call yourself Afro-Latina, Maritza? I don't say it in my head, but <laughs> mm -hmm. um, uh, my sister Maika, she was interviewed for this article about Afro-Latinidad in uh, Vice, I believe. And she mentioned that like, when she is in a Latinx space, it's because she was invited and she feels welcome there. Like when Maika and I first published Dear Haiti Love Elaine, we had such a warm welcome and reception through Las Musas. And that is, I mean, Las Musas has been such an amazing group of people coming together to like uplift so many voices that have been oppressed and muted for so, so long. So, um, in in that idea of like coming from a Latin American country, and even if we're not speaking like the dominant language of the area, like there's so many other factors that are part of our culture that I do very strongly identify with. In the back of my head, sometimes I'll like, you know, my great grandpa was Cuban, so I got that. <laughs> but like uh, in the in the front head, I'm uh, a lot of times like Haitian people will focus on like the Haitianness of their identity being Haitian. Um, and I guess I tend to do that, but at the same time, it does annoy me when like uh, people are talking and they say like black and Latinx or something like that, like uh, assuming that Latinx people cannot be black or there aren't intersections in different parts of identity. And something that you mentioned um, that made me, uh, that reminded me of this is that like Haiti's ties to Latin American countries especially, is they're so strong. Like we always like to point out that Haiti's the first black Republic in the world. And um, part of that is that Haiti served as an example and inspiration for uh, ways to earn, your, not earn, but like just grab your freedom and, and liberate yourself. Um, and that is something that a lot of countries have taken from Haiti. Um, or not taken, but adopted and, and celebrated. So right. very much are like in the fabrics of so many different nations, right. whether that's acknowledged or not. So, you know, Venezuela, Cuba have been very instrumental in uh, Haiti, Haiti, Haitian politics in general, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I, for some reason, you know, when we say uncles in Haiti, it's like a friend of the family, right? Yeah. So when I say I have so many uncles who went and got their medical degree in Mexico for whatever reason, and they come back speaking, speaking Spanish. Um, my mother speaks Spanish. Um, but I can't say, um, I can't say that I have direct Dominicans in my line, but my father's wife was Dominican. Ah. <laughs> my sister, my half sister is half Dominican. Yeah. Um, now, and my, and they're all very fair skin, you know, um, you could be Dominican. I could be Dominican. Mira, ven acá, you know, <laughs> that's all I know. So, but at the same time, um, I did claim Dominican identity growing up in New York city. It was yeah. not cool to be Haitian. You were in Miami. I think my entire life 
would have been different had I grown up in Miami. Um, but I grew up in New York City, but there are a lot of Haitians in New York City, but Bushwick in particular, there were less Haitians and more Puerto Ricans and Dominicans. Um, it's a neighborhood in Bushwick, New York. Yeah. Um, I'm saying all that to say I can start with my novels and how my particular Haitianness filters into my books. I can, so now that I've said that I don't identify as Afro-Latinx, I've always, I'm black. Um, I like to say I'm African and I'm Haitian. Uh, and that Haitian identity is directly connected to like how Haiti is so connected to African cultures. Um, Haiti is like, I think in terms of um, assimilation into like the colonizers mindset, I think Haiti is the less assimilated Caribbean nation. Mm. Um, and Latin, I think I think Latin nation as well, because we have voodoo, we have the food, we have the music, we have the language that has been unfiltered because of the Haitian revolution in the late 1700s and late 1800s, early 1800s. So Haiti became free in 1804. So because of that, there's less colonial influence after that. Um, so in, in terms of that, I, when I didn't really, really feel Haitian enough, cause there was a point in time where I didn't feel, I still don't feel Haitian enough. And then I didn't feel American enough. Right. And I didn't feel African American, black American enough. I'm just like, who am I? But when I was able to connect to like African diaspora to say, wow, like Jamaicans do that too, you know, Trinidadians do that, Ghanaians do that, Nigerians do that. Then I met friends from Zimbabwe and South Africa, and I started to connect the threads culturally and be like, wow, I am an African in the new world. I hold on to a lot of um, my cultural retentions um, are really, really strong so that I can connect to all parts of the African diaspora. So my husband is half Liberian and half Trinidadian. And like over the years, we just like find the connections in the culture. So I'm gonna show you one thing, right? Um, how Haitians used to do this. Yes, I can never do it. I can't make the sound. <laughs> and then Lupita Nyong'o had that like Queen of Katwe was yeah. the movie that she was in. And in that movie, they were doing like this, you know, like, yes, you know, and it's like, in Haiti, it's like, you about to get in trouble, you know, that's what it means. Um, and then she had like a little video to promote the movie and she was talking about the African finger snap. And I'm like, the African finger snap. <laughs> I didn't know it had a name. Yeah. And I'm realizing like the, she was doing it um, in Uganda, mm -hmm. um, right? And uh, Lupita is from Kenya. That's mm -hmm. East Africa. And mm -hmm. then my husband says, and my Nigerian and Ghanaian friends say they do that too. And that's all the way in West Africa. That's on different, in different parts of the continent doing the same nonverbal communication. Right. And yeah. then Trinidadian side, they do that too. Um, I don't know if they do that, um, in the South, uh, black Americans do this, but Haitians definitely do this. Right. Yeah. I want to know how, how far across cultures this goes or like, <laughs> like, oh yeah. 
people. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> all these, like when I started to make those, like the things that we do with our bodies to express a certain thing, even the food, you know, across cultures. I know Dominicans have bacalao, we have moe, yeah. same yeah. thing. Um, so to me, I don't recognize those borders um, to really, really um, pay attention to those borders and those distinct like vocabulary that we've given to ourselves is to give power to colonization and the process of colonizing a people that separates them in that way. So that's a, that's a reason why I don't verbally identify as Latinx because it would give power to French the French colonizing us, right? Mm. Um, so I will say I'm black, I'm African descendant, you know, and ergo I am Haitian. Uh, we were colonized by the French. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. And I connect with Haitians, connect to Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, Cubans, Venezuelans in very different ways because of the Africans who've been on those islands and the Native American um, cultural infusions into African cultural retentions and European um, infusing their own culture. So, you know, and Haiti has its a distinct culture too. I know in Haiti, we have Gaga, Dominican mm -hmm. Republic have Gaga, you know? Um, so I like to say I'm Kiskeyan. I have a little bit of Arawak Taino in me. Of course, there's some French mixed in there. Um, maybe there's Spanish. I don't, I don't know if there's Spanish in me, but we are a little bit of everything. Yeah. So yes, Haiti is a Latin country. Haiti is certainly black, you know, technically I am Afro-Latina. I am black immigrant. I am black. I am an African descendant. I am, you know. <laughs> exactly. I think that's the power of yeah. being in 2020, like getting to name ourselves for ourselves, yeah. whatever that yeah. is or isn't. Yeah. Yeah. We, we just are. And, right. we, and that is enough. Yeah. And I am appreciative of being invited into Latinx spaces. Exactly. Because it allows us to talk about the intersections in our identity. Uh, so it allows me and us to um, acknowledge our um, bilingual identity. Um, and that's something I don't usually get to do in all black spaces. Yeah. Um, all black spaces, okay, we all speak English and nobody, very few people acknowledge the black, ex the black immigrant experience. Mm -hmm. um, and the black bilingual immigrant experience is even just like on the, like, and the bottom rung of that experience. So if we say black Amer black immigrant, we would think of Jamaicans, you know, or Nigerians who already speak the language. But what about when you're black, you're from a different country and you don't speak English? That's an identity I don't get to address in those spaces, but in Latinx spaces, I get to say, hey, you know, I, you know, had to learn English. My mother, you know, had to learn English. Um, so all of that, I'm grateful for that. I want to show, so this is the first book that I published um, about a Haitian girl who moves to Detroit um, and her very Americanized aunt and her cousin, cousins and some infusion of Haitian voodoo folklore. 
I always say that Haitian voodoo is very much like any other mythology where the pantheon is just as um, wide and vast and deep as Greek or Roman or Egyptian mythology. Yeah. And there are gods and they have stories and attributes. Um, so um, I'm very proud of this book. It's a little, you know, it's a little hood, you know, mixed with a little literary and magical realism. It's very interesting. Um, so this was, yeah, this was my first book, um, Haitian book. And I think some people, yay, show your love, buy a book. Um, I think some people expected me to write like more Haitian books, you know, um, and I did not really, but my character in my next book, um, Pride, yeah. Haitian and Dominican. And maybe I've heard readers say, where like, I didn't like, there's no Haitian identity infused into here, right? So I know Haitians who are not Haitian in that in their cultural expression, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's so many like um, it's not until you ask them like, yeah, I'm Haitian, but they're so assimilated and so Americanized um, that you know they identify as black and that's it. You know they don't they may have they may be first or second generation, um, but will still like be like, yeah, I'm Haitian, and that's as far as it goes, right? Um, they cook American meals just like everybody else, or they do cook Haitian meals. And I want the freedom to be able to write about Haitian identity, where it's just not all over your face, all over, um, you know, in your face like that. So in that sense, um, and I made her Dominican because Bushwick was so Puerto Rican and Dominican that I did not want to erase yeah. the cultures that are there, that were there. And the Bushwick neighborhood I'm talking about is the, the famous one that... The neighborhood that was made famous by from the HBO show Girls, um, yeah. and it's known for its graffiti walls, and it's like Hipsterville now, and the cool kids live in Bushwick, um, so it's right there with Greenpoint and Williamsburg as like the cool places. When I was there, it didn't, it wasn't like that at all. So this story is about an uh, gentrification mm -hmm. and a remix of. Uh, Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, and it's going to be an HBO series. Yes, I'm just a major fan girl, so I'm just like, yeah, I can't, I cannot wait. Like, I love Pride and Prejudice and Jane Austen, but then the fact that you took that story and made it into something that I could see myself in, like very figuratively or literally, like I was so excited for that, and to know that it's going to be on a screen, I cannot. Yeah wait to see those Benita sisters together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, I'm friends with like a very, um, a Hollywood, uh, my daughter is friends with a, a Hollywood actress and we're just rooting for her to read for the part. But you know, there's Zuri and Darius and both American Street and Pride come from my New York upbringing. Um, here's a girl who lives in a neighborhood where there's so much culture, right? And she doesn't venture out. You know, you know those kids in New York City, you can easily stay in your neighborhood within like maybe a 10 block radius and never venture out. So the world is so much um, smaller for you because you don't venture out. So I wanted to write about that kind of girl um, and a newcomer's experience. I didn't come here as a teen, but I came here as at four. And I can understand always 
understand the feeling of being in a place and not feeling like you're of it. Um, and I still feel like that, right? I have never, I have not fully assimilated into American culture because I can't erase my Haitian identity. Um, and Black Enough is the anthology that I just brought a bunch of um, author um, colleagues together just to write different kinds of story about Blackness. And um, this, my story in here is about to be a novel. And it is not about, it is about a half Haitian girl, um, but it is coming from my identity of just not ever feeling American. Um, although I will write about the African-American experience, like for my children to pass on that history to them. Um, at the same time, you kind of always feel like you're on the outside looking in. Mm -hmm. um, and I am benefiting from like everything that African-American, Black American people have done in this country. Um, and I also acknowledge how Haiti has contributed, Haitian Americans and Haitians have contributed to this country. Like, you know, Chicago was founded by yeah. a Haitian. Mm -hmm. Haitian fought in the, I think maybe the Revolutionary War, the Battle of Savannah, you know, there, there's like monuments to Haitian, um, Haitian um, soldiers in Savannah and there were Haitians who were Tuskegee Airmen. Uh, so all of this, you know, people don't usually know that because the two countries were right there. Catherine Dunham, um, famous um, black American dancer and choreographer went to Haiti to get inspiration. Zora Neale Hurston had a love affair yep. with Haiti. Um, so all these greats, um, Langston Hughes went to Haiti um, and he had like, uh, I think it's rumored relationship. Mm. Um, uh, he had yeah. a friendship. <laughs> he had a friendship with Jacques Ouimet, the poet, the Haitian poet. So all of this, um, connection between black America and Haiti, there's like, they're long, long standing. Uh, so, you know, and I want to acknowledge this means a lot to me here. This is the Brazilian translation of pride. And you, um, it's pride in Portuguese. Yeah. Ogulho. Very interesting. Yeah. Ogulho e presoncieto. Un remix de. Yeah. Okay. So this is all in like Portuguese. And I think that is so important to me because Brazil has the largest population of African descendants outside of the continent of Africa. It's mm -hmm. not America, it's Brazil, the country. Yeah. Uh, and it is the largest concentration of African descendants outside of um, uh, the continent of Africa. And a lot of those, um, the black people in Brazil came from Nigeria, you know? <laughs> I was watching a documentary on like Brazilian street food and my husband is Liberian and he will like, he noticed like, oh, wow, that's so-and-so in Liberia, that's so-and-so in Nigeria there and they're still cooking it in Bahia. Yeah. Um, so I love paying attention to those things. And of course, Haiti was the first um, free um, black nation. So those two countries, these two countries, Haiti 
and Brazil just need to constantly be part of the Latinx conversation, especially around Blackness, to pull Brazil in um, and to pull Haiti out and not leave us stranded out there just by our lonesome because they represent um, just Blackness in general, Blackness outside of the uh, British Empire mm -hmm. um, that we need to just really, really, really acknowledge. Um, and this is like my quirky middle grade. So this one, it, it, I love the cover. <laughs> and it's this little girl who loves science fiction and NASA and who clashes with the neighborhood girls. And she's not like uh, altogether, you know, just grounded in reality. And this is heavily based on my childhood. Yeah. Uh, just being an incredibly, not only was I nerdy, I was an immigrant black kid whose who's third language was English. So all these things I just could not fit in. I was double-handed. Do you know what double-handed means? Is that like ambidextrous? <laughs> nope. nope, nope, never mind. <laughs> That's okay. I just I wanted, to, I wanted to ask you. So I was double-handed. Um, New York. Um, I think it is a different certain era because at some point girls stopped playing double dutch, and it is like a, a regional thing. Double dutch. Oh, I was bad at that. I oh, was yeah. bad at that. I could do the this one, but not <laughs> the single one. Okay. Yeah. Did y'all play double dutch in Miami? We did, but okay. I was I just sucked. Okay. <laughs> there was nothing on my. So own. did I. I could not get the rhythm. There's a certain urban Black American rhythm to like, <laughs> and you had to have like the swag to go along with, you know, the Puerto Rican girls had it on lock. Nice. Jump double Dutch. Um, but for me, I don't know. There had to be like a little something, a little extra rhythm in there for me to get it in. <laughs> um, so all those things. And then the girls would cheer you know, ooh, show Wally Wally, ooh, show Bam Bam. They, they would do all these things that um, just didn't translate well um, into like, Haiti was still in my bones at 12, you know? Um, and there's an attitude that went along with it. Now, at home, we weren't allowed to have a certain kind of attitude, right? <laughs> that got like slapped out of us or, you know, there was a certain mm, 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 that I didn't have at home, but I had to pull it out when I went outside in the street, play out in the street, mm -hmm. um, right? And Haitian like girlhood attitude looks very and feels very different. And I think that when I was when I met Nigerian friends and Ghanaian friends, that that was how that particular Haitian brand of sass was translated. And it wasn't at Black American. It was more like African, Caribbean, or Trinidadian, um, a little bit of Jamaican. So I think culturally, our sass is very different. But mm -hmm. there is still sass. Don't you think? It, yeah, I feel like I am very sassless. But I think that's me. <laughs> I want more. Like, I couldn't even ever really roll my eyes right. And that is something that I wanted to do because it was so impressive. But yeah, I I can always do better with <laughs> yes. this. This is not something I learned at home. This is something I had to learn out there on the streets. 
of Brooklyn um, a little. And then, then the Puerto Rican and Dominican girls had a different sass. You know, it was like exclusive. They just like, <laughs> and that is so, is that terrible? No, but they, you know, to me, they spoke really fast. Um, and then the African-American, Black American girls had the hand clap. Um, and the Haitian girls, it was just different. <laughs> so all of that girlhood culture in the city where I was able to be around different cultures helped me to realize, helped me to identify like the connections between Haiti and Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico and Haiti and Jamaica, um, Haiti and Nigeria, then Haiti with girls whose parents came from down south. Yeah. So I was so observant as a kid, even while not completely fitting in seamlessly to anything. So this is like the book that kind of like um, encapsulates that experience. How was so, it different writing for a middle grade audience? So this one, this was like the, the first book that I sold. And I started writing it at a different point in my skill level. Mm. Um, I sold it. I started writing it in 2014. I sold it in 2015 and it didn't come out until 2019. And in hindsight, I should have just started over because I gained different skills um, in four years. You know, mm -hmm. when I, after publishing American Street and Pride. Yeah. So, of course, if I write a middle grade novel now, which I am, the voice is very different. The style is very different. And I think you and your sister should know by now that your skills, you level up with each book. <laughs> I do that. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah? yeah. you have more skills. You've edited an entire book already and you know what to look out for by the time you're drafting or at revising your next book. And I think that is the most, the, the, the best part about being a writer to me is not just publishing and getting the accolades, it's seeing how you're growing as an artist, how your craft is deepening and improving with each project that you put out. That is just wonderful to me. Yeah, I agree. And I just, like you mentioned the accolades and it, you're so fancy, you know, like you have so many accolades and really cool glasses that you aren't wearing right now. But uh, I can't do, I think I'm going to put glasses on pause because I can't do mask and glasses. Mm -hmm. The mask, because my glasses are big, yeah. fog up and I just be like, uh, <laughs> one gotta go. What? I know. Good I idea for the glasses. Earrings. I have the mask and the glasses, and my ears are like, oh hell no! <laughs> Give me a break. Yeah. So one or the other. Um, so like, how how has receiving so many accolades and celebrations of your work, um, I guess, affected your writing, or has it not? Like, how do you keep going without? Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. I'm so glad to have published later on in life. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, American Street came out when I was 39. You know, you do the math. <laughs> I'm a granny. <laughs> no, um, so by that time, it's not so much that I've gotten so much rejections. It's I, I kind of knew what um, what the response would be. Mm -hmm. Being like, 
you know, things that I tried to get published 10 years ago, it's now like innovative now, you know, it's like the new thing. Um, so it just rolls off the skin. I can't let it get to me in any way. Um, I know my editor was like, you are hard to impress, you know, because she's just be like, yay, look at this shiny new star. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) But I know that on the flip side of that, you know, not everything, um, you know, some people don't get that. I think for me, it feels so arbitrary sometimes. There's a lot of work that goes into lists or stars, I'm sure. But I know that like something that, you know, just that I just put out there just, you know, without giving it any thought can probably get a lot of accolades and something I can put my heart and soul into can just be like, you know, oh, this was terrible. So I can't let this get to me. Like, I really, really love this book. It's so cute and cerebral and people do not get it, you know, and by virtue of not getting it, uh, maybe people think it's not well written or whatever, but I put my heart and soul into this. So I, I, it's, it's a me book. You know, I even dedicated it to myself. I love that. that. (laughs) And you know, my name is not EB, like it says Pascal, right? Yeah. That is my birth name, Pascal. That is a very Haitian name. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, um, And I changed my name for a a few reasons. and so this book, it, it was a lot of work because um, it's like historical fiction and it's NASA and it's Star Trek and all and stuff like that. And then people could just be like, eh, you know, and I can't I can't take that in in the same way that I can't really take in stickers, you know, because yeah. um, I'm realizing like a book that I probably spent two months writing will get all the applause. A book that I spend 10 years writing will get crickets. So mm-hmm. I have to like create my own personal value system so that I don't get deflated when I don't hear applause or I don't get inflated, right? When I do hear applause. And to me, that's just how you have longevity and don't like, you know, deal with the, any of the external pressures that can come um, in our industry and of which there are plenty. <laughs> so um, I keep a level head for everything. Um, so it's not just me being apathetic. Um, it is just like keeping like, okay, I am grateful. However, it's not going to, you're not going to get to be like, oh my God, a new star. You know, I appreciate when other people do it because it's like, uh, like, it's a wonderful thing. Um, but for me, because I'm so I, I've been at this for so long, it's just like, this is great. You like it. Great. You don't like it. Great. Next book. <laughs> Next. Yeah. Book, right. <laughs> As a writer, I definitely feel that like I can never hear enough that I and my sister too, like we have to focus on the work that we're making, what we want to say. And as long as we are happy and content and proud of that work that we're pushing into the universe, like that should be enough. 
while acknowledging all of the hard work that goes into like making a book a success and bringing it out there. Um, so I wanted to bring in a question from one of the students that um, has something that they want to ask you, which I think is awesome. So Tessa J, who is in seventh grade and in Pennsylvania, has this to ask. Hi, my name is Tessa, and I was wondering how you find a writing style that really feels like you. Love. That is a great question because I am struggling with it as of right now. I am writing a book that is not in my genre mm. and it requires a lot of action scenes, right? And action scenes are hard for me because I am not an active person. <laughs> so <laughs> I think you have to be active to know how like it's a lot of stage direction, mm -hmm. like, you know, just like, oh, they they kick and punch and jump, you know? Um, so I'm just like, uh, 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 what? So I realized that my strongest is when I can get into the character's feelings. Um, and I need to lean on that more where they're not, they may not do a lot, but they have to have something that drives them. So I like, I realize that I'm better with poetic language and deep introspection. Um, so I am a literary writer through and through. Um, I like purple prose, you know. I like long descriptive um, uh, scenes and I like cerebral analytical processes that my uh, characters can go through. So yeah, it took me, you know, it took me about five or six books to figure that out. So everything that I write will be poetic from now on or else it'll be like pulling teeth. It'll be yeah. excruciating. So your mentioning of characters lines up right with our second student question from Ella W, who is a fifth grader in New York. Hi, my name is Ella and my question is, how do you come up with your characters? That's a great question. I um, That's always a great question. I my characters are based on the ideas I want to convey in a book. For me, the idea comes first. Mm -hmm. That idea of like, I want to write about, I want to write about a girl in a suburb. I want to write about the idea of a girl who does not agree with their parents, with her parents, and how does she break away and find her own way. So I have to think about the kind of girl who would not agree with their parents and the kind of girl who would want to break away and what would she do based on the kind of girl that she is. Um, I wanted to write about the idea of a girl who people think she's white on the inside and brown on the outside, right? What is it about her that would make her um, that kids would think that she likes white things, like the things that white people do. And what is it about her that would make other black kids not like her? So this is the idea I went after, and this is where the character of Ebony Grace came from in um, Ice Cream Sandwich. So yeah, that's how I come up with my characters. Yeah, and in the, okay, so the beauty of uh, an anthology like Black Enough is that it shows that there are countless infinite stories about Black people or any other people that uh, 
we we need more people to continue to write these different types of stories to show that there are so many facets to our humanity. Um, and I think that is related to our third question from Rowan O, who is an 11th grader in Pennsylvania. Hi, my name is Rowan and my question is, do you think it's appropriate to write about a topic that you don't have personal experience with? Do I think it's appropriate to write about a topic that I don't have any experiences? Uh, I do not have any experience with being a Star Trek fan. <laughs> um, I don't have any experience with, uh, how can I not spoil this? <laughs> I don't have any experience with living and visiting and seeing for the first time the city of Detroit. I have visited. Yeah. But I never lived in Detroit, with which my character does. I never lived in Bushwick as a teenager and never fell in love with a rich boy. But have I? Yes, I have. <laughs> <Correct>. <laughs> I have. Well, I don't have the experience of having four sisters. <laughs> so all of these books infuse some experience, some of my experiences, but I definitely am not my character. There are, they all are black children and they all are girls. Hey, oh my goodness, guess what? I've never been a boy, I'm not a boy. I'm definitely not 16 and I've never been to jail. I wrote this with someone who has, Yusef Salam. Uh, but for the most part, I wrote this story and I interviewed him and asked questions. But I came up with the um, the story. I wrote all the poems. There are about five of his poems in here. Mm -hmm. And this is not my experience at all. So I think you could write whatever you want. Um, and there will be consequences um, to whatever you write and put out. You have to decide if you want to deal with the consequences, how you're going to deal with the consequences. And the consequences are pl uh, plenty. You know, you can uplift the people based on writing from outside your experience, or you can further harm a people. Um, I'm not one to say you can't write something. I want to say that whatever it is that you do, there will be consequences whether or not people don't get it or people give it a sticker you know yeah. <laughs> all of those are consequences i think that is a perfectly apt way to say that that whatever we are working on will have consequences just like you said um i selfishly wanted to ask you this question because i remember reading um, a tweet of yours that talked about inhale books and exhale books. And that has stayed with me and Maika forever. Like we talk about it all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So can you share what that is um, in, in, in like how, how this idea of inhale books and exhale books um, shows up in your work? Um, inhale book, uh, meaning like, I had to take in a lot um, in order to write this. I even, while we still talk about this book, it is still a moment of just like breathing in and 
holding your breath and there's some worry while I say like, you know, I don't take in like accolades very well, but I do think about and worry about responses, how it will be understood, how it will be taken, um, misinterpreting ideas. I do worry about that. So it's a constant holding my breath, right? Yeah. Exhale book. It's just like, whatever. Oh, this was fun, <laughs> right? <laughs> this was so much fun. I get to breathe. I get to just, um, and this is my the first book that hit the New York Times. And I think it's basically because how I talked about the book, mm-hmm. um, young people. I had so much fun talking about the 80s and science fiction and Star Trek and NASA and the Uhura. Oh man, I could I could just talk about this all day. The ideas in this book and my twelve year old self and being quirky, so it was it's a, like a constant relief. Um, and not to say that I don't like doing that. It's just like I I have to put on my serious face, right? Um, to talk about books like that. This was an exhale book as well, you know, sweet. And while I'm talking about some serious topics like gentrification and classism, it's just like a moment where they could be like, you know, there's witty banter, you know, there's kissing, um, there's like a funny mom. Um, So all of these, I just get to breathe out um, and just let my list all the good feelings out onto the page and share good those good feelings with young readers. Oh, that was the most perfect response ever. And this idea of leaving uh, happiness and joy with our readers, I think is a great place to end because it looks like we've reached the end of our talk. Thank you, Evie, again so much for Thank taking you, the Messy. We forgot to like drop in some Creole words. I know. Okay. No, that's French. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, you are not Haitian. Messy of Pil Evie. Oh, Messi. 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 Oh my gosh, that is terrible. <laughs> Better than mine. Right? Okay. And um, adios. <laughs> bye bye. Bon voyage. <laughs> yes. Thank oh, you. So <laughs> and thank you, amazing audience members, for attending this conversation at the Latinx Kid Lit Book Festival. Bye. Bye bye. <laughs>